Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. So many things just don't make sense to me in this world. Rather than describe them right now, uh, let's listen to the podcast and you'll see some of those things that don't make any sense. This isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Have you ever had like a sales job, whether you started a company or were doing sales for a company where you had to, it was life or death for you, where you had to convince somebody of something? No, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it because I'd feel fake. Yeah, and so I've had to do it for many years and it's horrible because you have to constantly, it's 24-7, literally 24-7. Like I would be so close with my clients that they would call me at like three in the morning to tell me what's going on in their oh. lives and their jobs and- and I would have to do it because it meant tens of thousands of dollars of business or more. And so I would literally go to therapy about this. Like, I, it's like I couldn't, you know, it was almost like a cliche. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out who I was because I was all the time trying to get clients for businesses I was starting. And it's just, it's just a horrible thing because you have to, you have to go to the opera, or you have to go to someone's house oh. by the beach, and I, I hate the beach, and uh, or the whole thing, or you have to politically, you know, agree with what they're saying. Because otherwise they're not going to do business with you. And then you could say, well, oh, you didn't stand up for your beliefs. Then that's how bad societies continue. But I needed money. I needed to, you know, raise raise my family. So this is the. I mean, I'm a capitalist, you know. But this is the issue. This is the downside to an extent. You end up having yeah. to compromise yourself for for stuff. And I noticed that I've been in America for five days. I've, you know, it is stronger here. You notice it, and that particularly the tipping culture. I constantly feel like I'm being sold to by everyone I meet in America. And they're so nice and friendly, but it's it's so over the... It's like that film, did you see Get Out? Yeah. And they, the, 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 it was these black guys, but there's actually old white men inside them and they're smiling in a quite a, a creepy way to me. <laughs> That's how I feel. And I'm not actually... I don't enjoy... I, I love America. I love American people and stuff, but I don't enjoy that in the customer service world because it's too much... Yes, yeah, because you don't know. Like if you're in a restaurant and they're like really nice, like, oh, where are you guys from? Uh, you don't know if they're, yeah. if they care or they're just, they, there are, and there are so many techniques um, 
both my daughters work as waitresses. And so I've actually studied the academic research of how to mac, uh, uh, maximize your <laughs> tips so I could tell them how what to do. And there are so many like Go on. tips. I'm trying to remember now because it was about a what, year ago. Writing a smiley face on the tip. Oh, I didn't know that one. But I, I think... They say thank you and put a smiley face on there. With I think saying pen. your name is good. Yes. Reading menu items exactly as they're written on the menu, like you can't even be one word off, <gasps> is is very important. Wow. Um, and I don't know why. There was a whole bunch of ones. I wish I'll, I'll, I'll write an article with that. Like that, it was fascinating, actually. That is amazing. I, well, I'll read that article. I love that. I love all that stuff. But like, I'm in a hotel and I go in and it's night and I've paid $300 for one night in a really not very nice hotel in the middle of Manhattan because that's that's what it, it's so expensive. Same as London, you know, yeah. crazy expensive. And I go in and the guy is just so over the top and he's saying my name over and over. And, oh, Andrew, come over here. Uh, yeah, I'll show you. This is where you can go out if you want. And in the morning at seven o'clock, we got this amazing thing. And it's so, oh, you're going to love it. And just so, and every time I came back in, he'd be like talking to someone else, like a friend of his or something, looking quite like morose, like his normal face. Yeah. And he'd turn and suddenly his face would take on this supernatural quality. Oh, Andrew, Andrew's back. Hi, hi, how are you doing, sir? Um, yeah, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff. And it, all it does is it's supposed to make me have a better time. Yeah. But it doesn't. It makes me feel creeped out and like, oh God, I've got to give him money. I don't have any coins or, or, or notes because I've just got a card. Should I go and like beep a card and say, here's $10? I know, it's very stressful. Like, and, then every, and then you wonder, is every interaction, like do I yeah. have to, like if they just... If they tell me what directions, do I have to give them a tip? If they open the door for the cab, do I have to right. give them a tip? If they go, to, if they go fix the broken air conditioning in my room, yep. do I have to give a tip? Yeah, like, and you kind of do have to give a tip for everything. So we talk about the often on the left wing in China, the the social points system, right, and that is happening in the UK now or the US with PayPal, right? PayPal have been banning users for wrong thoughts. Yeah. So you now have to have the right thought. You can't have access to your money. They even released something saying, uh, says Tim Pool anyway, I just got this from him, so I don't know <laughs> the validity of it, but uh, saying um, that they would actually just be not giving their money out now to people who had the wrong opinions. And then they took it back the next day, but PayPal's stock apparently plummeted after Right, I think they said they were going to take, they were going to fine you $2,500 oh, if you were spreading misinformation. How scary is that? That's very scary because, okay, they took it back, but that just means it's going to happen again for real at some point. Like now, everything that's like, Oh, it's bad. It's a little bit bad, but we're so we're sorry. We're gonna take it back. At some point, it's gonna happen, mm -hmm. and everyone's gonna be totally fine with it. Well, like Andrew Tate, who just who I just did the podcast with, he's an example. He has a business or had a business, and it was all running through Stripe, you know, for the payment processing, and Stripe canceled him because I guess they didn't they agree with you know the rappers who have much who have total like they're just killing people left and right in their songs. That's no problem, but like yeah. You know, some guy was making an impression on, you know, young men and it's totally inappropriate. So they, they cancel them. I've seen it happen to, there's a biologist um, who I interviewed who who said, you know, he didn't agree with gender fluidity and he got banned from PayPal. He he was always so polite he about it. He was banned it. from PayPal? Yeah, PayPal wow. banned him for that. And yet, again, I mean, are murderers allowed to use PayPal? PayPal probably wouldn't check, would they? I bet murderers can use PayPal, but not people <laughs> who have wrong thought. So that's really scary and that's happening. But what we don't think about as much is probably the capitalistic version, which I think comes through tipping. Because you've got a whole society of a service industry that have to behave and modify their social behavior around you so that they can maximize their profits. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And, and so I always wonder about this. So in other countries, if you don't tip, if you, if you do tip in some countries, 
it's almost like not good because you're making everyone else look bad. To an extent, I think most countries now, probably because of America, America leads the way in so many things. Uh, I think the UK follows the US a lot, particularly with politics, often six months later. Yeah. Uh, similarly to how that happens in academia first in, in each country and then filters down over the next few years and then everyone does a thing. So I think most countries now that I've been in, I know Argentina, France, you are expected uh, in nice places to leave 10%, but that's 10%. 10%, yeah. So here... 10% is considered, like, they, they might chase you out of the restaurant and yeah. say, hey, did I do everything okay? Like, what what happened? What's wrong? Yeah. You only tip 10%. 20, it used to be 20% was the high end. Now I think that's normal. And I think really, and you, Jay, you, you know, maybe like 25 or 30% is sort of, I want to say that's expected now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> have you been to, like, any of the cafe and you have a tip, it started at 20%, oh, 25, yeah. 30, 35. Yeah, like, even Uber now is like, the, the 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 last one is either twenty five or thirty. I think they experiment. Like also these companies, particularly the digital, they they experiment all the time with different numbers to see what people respond to. Like do they respond to like twenty one versus twenty, or you know if you have options. So it's the maddest thing. I, I had to pay seventy euros to get uh, dollars to get a, a taxi to the airport in New York. That's you know they don't they don't know how much I can afford. And then afterwards, I had a nice rapport with the guy. And the guy, because we spoke, he wanted to be a podcaster. He was very excited that I was a, a podcaster. And he was even to the point that he was calling up his, his girlfriend and saying like, praise the Lord, I got a podcaster here. It's going to be, everything's going to be all right. And I had to say like, oh, I can't really help you. <laughs> I don't, like, there's not much I can do about, I mean, even my own one is not, is not going to, you know, so I'm, there's not much I can do. He's like, oh no, no, you're going to help me. And I had to give him my card and everything. So now he's got my name and my card. So if I don't tip an extortionate amount in America. So I, you know, I gave 20%, which as you're saying, is probably not, he's probably disappointed. But what's that on $70? It's $14. I don't have $14 to just give to out. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather the, so tell me this, can you explain to me what, what, what is, because I know nothing about economics, finances, all this stuff. Why is America different in that respect? Because a lot of jobs are allowed to pay less than a living wage because tipping is encouraged. So if you're a waitress, mm. you don't need, or a waiter, you don't need to make the minimum, the, the restaurant doesn't have to pay you minimum wage and the, the, the customers essentially are supposed to subsidize part of the waiter's income. And that's the, I don't know why that started or how that is, like why certain job categories don't have to be paid minimum wage. Mm -hmm. um, but those are usually the categories where there's tipping. And so then it really becomes... You know, it's supposed to be an incentive for the waiter or waitress or the Uber driver or whatever to treat you nice, but then, you know, you feel guilty yeah. or pressured. And then in hotels too, uh, I've noticed lately, sometimes it'll say gratuity included, but then there's a line for extra <sighs> gratuity. <laughs> so it's totally a full like 17% tip and then extra gratuity. And so I ask, is this, am I supposed, do most people do this? And they always say, whatever you want, sir. Uh -huh. And like, they're never going to give an answer to that. Like, whatever you want. And I'm like, well, what, what do people usually do? Uh, whatever, people do whatever. <laughs> so, it just seems like, you know, I, I've loved everything about America. I love the food. By the way, the food, because everybody talks about Italy and France. I've, not, I've never enjoyed, I do like French. I've never enjoyed the food in Italy. Just, I don't know, I don't get it. It's just greasy. I'm not going to offend the whole country. Greasy. <laughs> We're just shitting on Italy here. Just, this podcast is all about <laughs> just taking a crap out of Italy. Mussolini. No, I, I'm, you know, I just, I just, I'm a vegetarian as well, so it doesn't help. But I thought it would be filled with vegetables, all the olives and all the stuff. And it was just greasy, meaty, 
and and like bread and I that bloats me and is not healthy and I don't whereas here oh man and and I know people go oh yeah well they've just taken other cult- well, well great that's the point they've taken all the cultures and they've improved them and that's yeah. you're not supposed to say that but they have and it's it's just everything's better here and and it's getting really good now because of the pandemic there's been an exodus from let's say the the best the best restaurant the best food cities in the US were probably in this order San Francisco New York uh, New Orleans and then of course there's LA and and Miami and so on but they all moved all those people moved and restaurants opened up in other cities and chefs moved so now you're really starting to see great food in every city in the yeah. country and but you know I remember England I first went to England when I was a, a little kid and the food was disgusting. It was horrible. Yeah. No offense. That's food, reputation. But yeah. but then when the channel started, I guess the same thing happened where you started to get like chefs coming around. It was easier to just travel and, and work other places and the EU made things easier. So I, I think the food in England now is great. But when I was a kid, I remember, what yeah. the hell is this? This is weird. No, I love it in England now as well. I mean, London in particular, like as just as a vegetarian now, uh, which, which I, don't, I don't have strong feelings about. I just decided to stop eating meat, probably because I had too much in Argentina. But oh, yeah. the, the best places are just the, the States and, and the UK just to get... Well, I don't know. There's a lot of places, of course, I don't know people. I can I always imagine listeners screaming, you haven't even been to Norway or something. <laughs> so I don't know. But, you know, yeah, got to have that veggie food. But yeah, the, the tipping stuff, man, uh, that's got to stop. Uh, and it won't because it's just getting more and more in the States. Pay your, pay your staff. Well, you know, and also everything requires energy. And the more energy you use in a day, the tired you are at the end, which is why we sleep. Decisions take energy. So having to make a decision, yeah. I mean, this is why Steve Jobs would wear the same out- outfit every day. So he wouldn't have to make a decision on clothing. And uh, uh, mm. having to make a decision like right there, oh, how much am I going to tip? What, you know, doing how maths. is this going to affect other things I'm doing today? Do I have enough cash in my pocket because nobody carries cash anymore? And yeah. it's stressful. So it, it, all these little things add up and, and wear you down. This reminds me though of Jay's podcast idea. This doesn't make any sense. Because to, so to the listeners, Jay thinks he's going to start his own podcast. He probably will at some point, but for now, let's just say he's thinking he thinks he's going to do it, and we'll see if he actually does it. And yeah. it's his ostensible title is "This doesn't make any sense." And so we were talking earlier about weddings. Like you're going to have a wedding the summer after this yeah. summer, and you sent an invite around to people from all over the world. And my first thinking is that might be rude. Like you yeah. send you send a letter to someone who's halfway around the world, hey, save the date, July 4th, 2024, uh, see you in Iceland or wherever you're going to have your wedding. And now all these people now have to say, like they have to start like a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, <laughs> like I got to raise money and go yeah. to this guy's wedding. Yeah. I barely know him. And uh, uh, I just think in general, like I, I, I just think in general, I don't like to be invited to weddings. I've lost lots yeah. of friends over not responding to wedding invitations. I'm a bad, not only a bad email responder, I'm a bad wedding invitation responder. There's something to be said for the not responding. And I think because I, I am now learning, I think, to not respond to everything, not to push everything. And uh, I did have that with with my best friend. Uh, obviously, I was going to go to the wedding because I'm not, I'm not you. No, but I was obviously, I went to the- <laughs> I've lost my best friend over this. So. Oh, man. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to go to the stag. Because that is the stag was in. Do you say stag bachelor party? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was in um, another country, so it was that kind of thing. And it was a few days, but more than that, I am. I think similar to you in this sense. I, I, I don't like being out 
I, I like being just chilled and in and watching a movie at home. And I don't like walking a lot. And I particularly don't like big groups of very loud, uh, drunk people who I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and clubs and not sleeping well. So I called and said, you know, do you, how would you feel if I, if I didn't go? And he, he sounded so upset. So then I went and I'd said something. So it was the double, it was, and everyone could tell. And I, I often didn't go to the same lunches and dinners and clubs. I just sort of went away. But I did learn it's better to do that just leaving the party than to say like, sorry, mate, I know it's a bit early, but I'm going to leave now. To just leave and vanish and not say goodbye, that's the best way. That So, okay, is that the, and I don't mean to cliche any society, but that's either called the Cuban goodbye or the Irish goodbye. Yeah, it's I, one I, of the, I purposely didn't say those. <laughs> What's it called? Because you were describing to me that they're different and I thought they were the same. I thought Irish goodbye just leave, right? Yeah. But Cuban goodbye, you actually... When you go there, you say hi to the host and take picture really quickly, then you leave. So you have like uh, evidence that you were there. Uh, that's I see. Good. So with the, with the first one, you just have to show up and you no, know, but, but if no one knows you there, what's the point? I think they're the same. That doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> the, well, all I know is the, yeah, the Irish one, which we're not saying Irish people do, but that's what it's stereotypically called. And yeah, that's the best, that's the best way. I, I believe that. Like we did we did a dinner like that the other day where we went to the dinner. Um, we left before, we left around appetizer time, say goodbye, or, or we did say goodbye though. So, you, so you, uh, you don't have to say goodbye with the Irish goodbye. I think mm -hmm. you just have to say hello to everybody and then you disappear. So we, did, we, we, we left early though. I used to live in a part of France where you have to do three kisses on each person, each like the cheeks before oh, yeah. you. Before, I can't stand that. When you say hello and when you leave. And there are parts where you've got to do four uh, and some parts it's two. But where I was, it was three. And I used to calculate it. Like I want to leave. I know that every person I talk to is going to go, what do you mean you're leaving? Because everyone hates when people leave and just because I want to go to sleep. Um, and it's like, okay, there's 30 people here. That's going to be 90 kisses. That's outrageous. That is, that, I wouldn't survive in that area of France. But like, yeah, but the thing is though, like, so does your fiance, does she, does she feel the same way about social events? She doesn't like kissing either. <laughs> no, I'm, like, I'm joking, by the way. <laughs> but like, does she like going, is she a social person? Does she like going out to parties and stuff? More than, more than me. And I mean, as we speak, she's, I hope she doesn't mind me saying, talking about her, but she's at like a games night to play game, which you would probably like as well, wouldn't it? With the chess or is, or is it just chess? It's just chess. Okay. Like they, games night is like what Jay does. Uh. So they go and they play something where like a medieval, yeah. you know, game and it's strategy like a big board. Yeah, strategy. strategy. It is strategy. They're, they're good games. I've played them with my kids, but I enjoy the true, the original strategy mm. game. So that's that's about it. For me, it's TV. I've got to I've got to just just sit and watch TV. I'm fine. You know, you remember like 20 years ago, people used to be very much TV snobs. Like they used to, oh, no TV in my house. My kids will never grow up watching TV. But TV is a great way to be exposed to like great stories and great storytelling. I, TV is like a must for my kids. Yeah. Well, that's that thing, isn't it? Like any new thing, and I'm not saying it was new 20 years ago, but it was still relatively. You know, it's only been around 50 years before that. Um, books were thought of that way as well. When books first came along after the printing press or whatever, uh, they said yeah. like, oh, don't let them read that all day because it's no good for their brains. Yeah, like in comic books was like that, uh, TV, now of course social media. People say about TikTok, about the 70 most talented people on the planet. Like, I'm still amazed. They're like, they, they are literally superheroes on TikTok. Like, ever, they are amazed. They must die sometimes. Do they, do they die? Like what? if you're jumping from one building to another, 
What if you miss? <laughs> people do. You do hear about that. You hear about people, and a lot of Russians who they climb very high up uh, and then they fall and they die. Oh man, that's brutal. It does happen. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of en Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
Hey, tell me about um, New York because you said New York was dying. That was a big thing. Rogan was on about it. Yeah. Um, and I was just there. It's, How was it? It's insane. Like, so I don't, I, it depends what dying you're talking about. But in terms of just people, lights, stuff in your face, it was like, uh, it was ostentatious almost. I've, I've enjoyed my time more in, in Atlanta and, and DC just because it was amazing to see the New York stuff. But I, ha- I need a break. It was mad. And where were you in New York? Or where did you stay? I stayed in um, uh, the, the Lex, Lexington Avenue right next to Madison Park or something. Okay. Um, yeah, I know, I, know, I know where you're saying. Mm. So, uh, and right there is actually, well, the park it could get crowded, but right where you were staying on Lex, it's not as crowded as like, let's say Times Square. I walked, or I walked there. Yeah, and then, and then downtown is very crowded. So I do think, look, I think New York's very crowded. My, my, you know, two of my kids live in New York and they go to school there, they work there and they love it. Uh, you know, the problem that New York has is a little bit more under the surface right now, which is like in Midtown, which is not a nice part of New York. It, like it's just office buildings, but it's only about 40% office occupancy. So the buildings are still empty uh, as, as opposed to hundred percent occupancy before the pandemic. And so if you only have 40% occupancy, a lot of companies will cancel their lease. They won't pay taxes. They'll move from the city. And New York City needs $100 billion a year to run the city. So mm. if they don't make that from taxes, they're going to either have to raise taxes or figure out how to make money or fire people. So what people would they fire? Well, teachers, police, uh, you know, sewage workers, garbage men, uh, first aid workers, you know, hospital workers, so teachers. So that's that's what's beginning to happen in New York now is that fewer and fewer services are being offered and the city needs just as many services, but fewer people are paying taxes. So that's going to, that's going to be a bigger and bigger problem. It's or crime is already up, but it's up in every city right now, but crime's up a little bit more in New York city. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a problem. I, I mm. love New York city. I hope it doesn't happen. You know, despite my title, I really hope New York city doesn't die forever. Um, but I'm worried that I don't know what the solution is. How do you keep people in a city? Yeah. So, do you remember where you were when Jerry Seinfeld um, talked about you? Yeah, I was <laughs> lying in bed and I was getting all these messages, SMS messages, <laughs> and everyone was calling me a putz. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why is suddenly like this depression era insult a putz? Like, <laughs> is it depression era? It's Yiddish. It's like, but I feel like people didn't start saying it till like a hundred years ago. I don't know when they started saying it, and they don't really say it now. Like I don't say "Jay, you putz, get the audio." I don't never yeah. use that word, but uh, but that was in the title of Jerry Seinfeld. The only op-ed Jerry Seinfeld has ever written in his life was this op-ed, and so I remember being in bed and I, I and finding out about this, and I had like a mixed emotions. Like what did like I thought. I thought this was a week after the article had come out. And so I thought the anger had died down, but this created a whole new level of anger where everybody started like writing. They saw that Jerry Seinfeld was on board trashing me. So everybody started writing an article. And uh. and not only that, like Jerry Seinfeld was like, you know, I was, I was a comedian. I owned a comedy club right around the corner from Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. So he would go to the comedy club. You know, he was like a hero to mine. You know, we talked earlier, like you asked if, you know, we were talking about whether we ever cry. So I, I literally cried when I realized the extent of what oh. was happening. And and uh, it was very upsetting. And I think that's part of the reason like I got just totally burnt out. 
So, and then, and then other, like he started trashing other states in that op-ed. So Florida, there was an op-ed, like, why is Jerry Seinfeld trashing Florida? Like, and, and making fun of Jerry. So it was like, this became this nationwide thing all of a sudden that was not intent. I was just writing my usual, I wrote an article every day. So I was just my usual thing. And it just got, I think it was like literally the last viral article ever like have you have you read an article as viral as that like since then <laughs> no. 30 million people read that article probably something by barry wise about the the woman in the park with the dog that called the police in new york oh yeah that yeah might have been before yeah but that was a video yeah but i think she wrote some op-eds about it as oh, well. okay All i right. found out the truth of yeah. it was a different truth and stuff well you she, see she's great by the way i love barry wise yeah she is great she we should we should get on her podcast Oh, oh, or she should come on ours. Yeah, okay. You know, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal when she first graduated college. She was my, she corrected my grammar. That was, wow. and um, my grammar was always bad. But, and then I was so impressed with the arc of her career, like New York Times and now doing this great newsletter. It's a very impressive career. When you say you, cry, you cried with the Jerry Seinfeld stuff, wasn't part of you also like, like oh, Jerry Seinfeld's talking about me? You know, I, I never felt that. I never, I, I never, hmm. because I felt like he didn't really, present an argument. He was just kind of trashing me. He, the one thing he said that was part of an argument is that people do enjoy going to work because that's a better way to exchange ideas. And he quoted like some sociologists, but it turns out that's just not true. Like people don't, on average, the average person likes remote work better than, some people like going to work, but they did a lot of surveys, more than 50% preferred not going back to work. So he was just wrong about that. That was the one kind of argument he made. And it was that those statistics were known even then. Yeah. And everything else, he was just saying, "Oh, well, not a real New Yorker." This that I was born. I was born in New York. He he was he was not from New York. He was born in Long Island. Anyway, I won't go into the whole thing. But it was just I felt like he didn't really address it in in a way that was reasonable. So it wasn't it wasn't like a, a fun thing for me. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, it was quite disrespectful, wasn't it? How he... Yeah, because he he was. He's also just, you know, saying I wasn't a real New Yorker and a real New Yorker had to respond, which he isn't, wasn't, never has been. He's lived in LA most of his career and then, you know, lives in Long Island now. He has an apartment in New York. But anyway, that's, I'm not in New York either now. I was in New York then, but I'm not in, I'm in, I'm near, I'm in Georgia now. Yeah. So the, the, I'm literally in the farther, furthest place philosophically from New York that you could be. It's still, it's, yeah, it's sad though. It's that meet your heroes thing, isn't it? Like you're saying and... Uh, I just, I don't know. I wonder if you have a bit of, when you're that famous and you're, you're so many people's hero, I wonder if you have a bit of a responsibility. Maybe not. He can do what he wants, you know? But I've seen him be a bit mean to a few people over the years. Well, let me ask you this. Like, like have you ever insulted anyone on your podcast or in your writing or anything? And you write about people you can insult. Um you write about psychopaths and not mu not much, not much, and and I think it's I think I do imagine them reading it, and it's like I've gone behind their back. So there was one thing that happened with uh, a guy who was an ex Jehovah's Witness, who's like the king of the ex Jehovah's Witness community, and it turned out that he was um, he did a lot of stuff about you know sex transporting and, and all these kinds of things um, to warn against the, you know because Jehovah's Witnesses were doing all those things, and he was really against that stuff, but then admitted that he took a trip uh, away from his wife to, um, where was it? Was it Thailand? Uh, to sleep with sex workers who, you know, anyone with a passing knowledge of those sex workers knows their history as well. And it just, it was just a conflict of interests, but that wasn't really my thing. You know, it's not my business, but 
uh, I had interviewed him and not really addressed it properly. And uh, a lot of Jehovah's Wit- ex-Jehovah's Witnesses were very angry with me. So I had to speak to somebody who was on the other side who wanted to talk about what he had done. And he got really ang- upset with me because I was essentially, you know, I wasn't bad-mouthing him so much as having someone else who was. And I felt terrible. Mm. So, so I... I yeah, I try not to do it. And again, not because I'm so wonderful, but because of that clapping thing again. I want. I, I think I find it really hard for, to imagine someone sitting somewhere just reading something that I've written that's mean. Yeah, it's a, it's a. They they could feel really horrible. And also, you know, there's also something to the point where oh, if someone somebody knows if I write about them, it's going to be favorable. Like I because. I always make it a rule. The only person I hurt in my own writing is me. So I will never hurt anyone else. Now, if someone writes to me and says, hey, you mentioned me, I didn't really like that, I will take the article down. So uh, occasionally with my daughters, I'll say something. And, uh, you know, one of my daughters was once really little. She was like 10. And I wrote something about how she was sharding. And uh, <laughs> uh, she called me up and she's like, I can't trust you anymore. Oh, no. And so I instantly took that article down. But that's, I really make it a rule never to, to say anything badly about someone in an article. And it's, someone you could say that's not being honest, but I'm being honest that I don't like to even think that way about people. So it's one of the most difficult parts of being uh, or having a public platform. Uh, people might think it's like, oh, look at Rogan spreading misinformation or whatever it might, or, or how do you deal with people? One of the hardest things is uh, being careful with private information of friends and family of yours because you, you want to bring out experiences from your life uh, and you don't know how how delicate that is for those people. And I definitely have made mistakes with that early on and it, it must be difficult for my fiance sometimes. You know, She's very, very private. Um, even saying she's very private, I'm thinking, oh God, will she, you know, because she, everyone's different. And I, I, am hap- I am someone who goes, you know, and that was, you know, I wanted to set you up with Justin Hall, who was the first ever blogger. And he had that issue. Uh, he was the first ever blogger from the 90s and he put up all this stuff, but he put up everything about his life, including like pictures of his penis and stuff because it looked weird and he wanted someone to tell him what it was. He was like a real exhibitionist. And he would tell stories about his lives, but, but about his life. But people started to get really upset with him and say things like exactly what you just said, like I can't trust you anymore. And it really got to him. And he had a big breakdown on online, one of those ones where he was like screaming into the camera and crying and just going like, I just wanted to, you know, tell people stories and now no one trusts me and all this stuff. And where is he now? He is in San Francisco and he's got a um, cannabis company. Um, huh. and he's a really nice, sweet. So, and he doesn't guy. blog anymore. Every now and then he goes back to the same blog and he writes. So he wrote about me because I interviewed him, which meant that I was on the oldest blog on the front page huh. for like a few, uh, well, for quite a few months because he didn't write again for a while after. So he still does it every now and then, but not properly. And he never writes about people's lives anymore. It really, it really hurt him to realize that he had hurt other people. Yeah, and I, I wonder, I feel like I haven't really written that much since that that article. It really... Sometimes something can impact you and your whole life changes for better or for worse. Like I've switched to other things that may be just as positive, mm. but they're not as, I mean, I've been writing every single day since 1990 and I no longer really do, you know, just in the past two years, because when something really, one way or the other, like with him, it was, you know, people feeling like they couldn't trust him. With me, it was an entire city hated me, uh, including many people I knew. And uh, mm. it just it just affects you a little bit. So- I basically stopped writing my usual stuff, but now I'm trying to figure out how to how to get back into it, maybe in a different way. 
Yeah. So we'll see. You've got to get back into it. it, it I read it. I'm not a New Yorker, you know, and I don't have that kind of nationalism anyway about a country or a city or whatever. So it read as a quite a, not, not really offensive. That's what I thought. And I, <laughs> and I started off with stories about how you always want to uh, piggyback a message on top of a story. So I wrote the story of how much I love New York and why and things that happened to me. So it would be pretty clear that I want this city to succeed. And you know, I I think most people who claim to have read it, it's like you're, you're the person with the opera claimed to know opera, but all they knew were my the greatest hits from the article that everyone else was saying. They didn't really actually read the article, or else they would have seen that I wanted a solution. Uh, I think a little bit was too is that usually I am very solution oriented in articles like that, and I couldn't figure out a solution. But it's very difficult. Like I know it's difficult because I had on the mayor of New York City afterwards on the podcast, and we talked about it. We couldn't figure out a solution right there on the podcast. It's something that really requires a lot of thought and policy, and and we'll see what happens. He's a very good guy. He's, he he became mayor after that discussion, and and uh, uh, we were we were good friends before then. And now he's he's off running a city, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know if it's. Uh, I hope I hope it'll be saved. So, and then um, so tell me more about your trip to the U.S. Though you were on Tim Pool's podcast, yeah. And, and this, and I got to hang out with John Ronson. And John Ronson, <laughs> yeah. John Ronson's been on this podcast. He's a yeah. re really smart guy. Tim's a smart guy too. He's very right wing. Yeah, he's very right wing. And uh, that was a weird thing for me and because it, it's just a different thing from the UK. And I do try to be, you know, for the UK, when we hear about guns, for example, we're just like, what? Like every, it's, it must be 100% in the UK who are, like want more control or for them to be banned. I try to be like, look, again, no moralizing and just like, it's a different culture. It's a different thing. Let's let's try and see it. It's still weird for me though to see a gun, which is brings me to Tim Paul's house, because um, he's he's been swatted before. Um, Can you describe what swatting is? Because I had only just heard that term like a month ago. Yeah, well, me too. Because I was going on his show and someone told me about it. But it means it's that insane though. This concept. Someone, somebody called the police, the FBI, I guess, on him and and said I don't know what they said about him exactly, but they turned up while he was in the middle of live streaming, like the FBI. Well, going so into his house. what they say, I don't know his specific incidents, but they might say this is crazy. The instances that I've heard, they they might call up the FBI or the police and say. I've, uh, I'm so-and-so and I live at this address and I just shot my wife and five kids and, uh, and I'm just standing here in their blood and then they hang up. Yeah. And, and then so, so the FBI or the police thinks they have, they think they have a live real situation happening right then. So their guns are out and they're approaching the house and you're just, you don't know anything. You don't know that somebody just called and claimed to be you and said this. So exactly. it's like a dangerous thing. Something like that was said about Tim Paul. I'm not sure exactly what. And for him, that's obviously, I mean, that's why whoever his enemy is did this because Tim Paul is uh, very much focused on, you know, survivalism and, and uh, keeping all your stuff at home in case you have to like fight off the authorities. And then the authorities, there they are with their guns, I suppose, proving his point, going into his his house and stuff with guns, which is scary. But it, I suppose it's not just that. He has a lot of enemies. He's, he's always wearing that hat. I've, I've heard him say, you know, he wears that so he's not as recognizable when he's out or something, you know. Um, there's a video on YouTube of someone taking it off and, and Tim goes berserk. Like, you know, do you know that's, because someone did it as a joke. Like, to, he says, you know, that's my, people can recognize me and all this stuff. Um, but because of all of this, he lives like out in the woods. It's not even where he, I don't even know where, where he lives, but to do the podcast, you go out into the woods um, an hour away. I won't say what city just in case, uh, yeah. you know, but 
somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. It's like a horror film, you know, in terms of location. And you drive up, and as you're driving, there are just there's like sign after sign saying like no trespassers, go past this point and you're dead. Uh, we're gonna we've got guns aimed on you right now, which again for a Brit is just very scary. I guess for anyone it's scary to read. Um, but I thought, well, I'm expected here, you know. So I don't know. So I drove up to like the top. It's like a long driveway, and you get to this top of this thing, and uh, there was a barrier again. So more signs, barriers, scary things. So I parked the car just on this slope, and I sort of walked around the side of the barrier and sort of to see who was there. And I get approached by somebody who's wearing like uh, prosthetic breasts, like that teacher. Did you see the teacher with the fake boobs? No. There's a teacher in the US somewhere who wears, it's a man who wears huge breasts. And I think he's doing it to troll woke people, but he's getting away with it and just teaching classes <laughs> as just a guy with like breasts like down to his oh my knees. God. It's, it's insane. Yeah. But they were obviously doing a parody of it, like filming that at the house. Uh, so this person just comes up with the fake boobs, makeup, and just goes, hi, I'm Brianna. And it's some guy called Brian, really. And I was like, oh, hello. And I'm just like scared at this point as well. It's my first day in America. Um, I don't know, you know. And then more people approach. And it's just like all these people around. And the building that they do this in, I think it's his building, is enormous. Like, like it's a hotel almost, but it's his and you go in and there's like a bar and there's this and there's that. There are loads of rooms upstairs. And then downstairs you go into a basement and there's like a skate park in there, a huge skate park in the basement. There's a huge cinema room. There's a huge, there's like a chicken area with chickens wandering around. So again, all this stuff for me from, like, I'm a boy from London, you know, like from, the, from a city and this was just bonkers for me. And this guy was showing me around the house. I haven't met Tim at this point. Um, and I, I just got the impression no one even knew who I was, like why I was there, that I, the producer had probably done it and they hadn't even remembered me. Um, and the guy's showing me and he's like, and, and this is uh, the collection of guns on the wall. And there's just like loads of guns. And I was at that point like, oh my God, where am I? I was really quite scared. Um, and then there's the bunker, which again, I think he talks about in his show, so he won't mind me discussing, but just, just you know, they're prepared there. And I've never seen a house like that. And then you go up, it's like several floors up. I just couldn't believe all of it. Like, is this YouTube money? I don't know. Um, and then you're in the room and then you're with these guys and there's a lot of God talk, which I'm, again, not used to. I don't know. I think Britain is, is a lot more atheist or atheistic as a, as a country. Uh, and I'm not judging. I'm just sitting there sort of like soaking it in, you know, just like... This is, this is what's happening. And there's, uh, well, I think God is this. And someone's like, well, God really is more of a manifestation. It's all this talk. And I'm just like, okay. Um, and it was, no, it was, it was great fun. And they were all really nice. And, and, oh yeah, Tim was just like, I met him. He's playing pool and he just had an aura. And you have that aura. It's not necessarily anything about him, but it's just all of this is around him. Right, he, he had created, his vision had created this environment. Yeah, yeah, oh, and that, that's exactly it. It's a weird thing to, to, to sense. It's a weird thing to be in the presence of somebody who's created that all around them. And he's playing pool with uh, a woman who works with him, I don't know. And I was like, oh, hi. And he, he was just like, hi there. And that's it. Like, you know, and I just like, oh, what am I doing here? It's so weird. But it was, uh, yeah, really uh, bizarre experience. And then finished and I said, well, I, I better go then. And they're like, huh? oh yeah, okay. And I'm gone and that's it. And then they, they just do their thing every night and half a million people watch every night. How many, does he do a show every day? Yeah, I think every day or at least nearly every day. Wow, it's a it's a hard commitment. And you do three podcasts a week. Yeah, yeah. Part, part of the part of the difficulty is I suppose getting guests, which I guess they don't always have to do because there's three or four of them anyway. They've got yeah. it felt like a sort of, you know, Manson clan. 
Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference. Pursue your dreams of business ownership and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's health care by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use him from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Do you ever feel like you, you shouldn't have guests? Like you should just talk about stuff like we're just talking about stuff now yeah but i don't know how bored everyone is <laughs> listening. I, I i always just assume if you if we're having fun then everybody's having fun everybody yeah. if you're having a party everyone wants to come i like the idea of of a regular show where say it was me and you every week or i do this thing with sean of course if we did it in person and maybe there was a third person so what the, the regular it doesn't have to be a new guest every time then 
Because right. you three talk about the topical news, people get to know the characters, which is you. That's good. But on my own, I know because you've you've said that you've you sort of studied some of the podcasters who do that. They can just you know and, yeah, and you do it as well, don't you? Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we we've had some success with um, having like let's say a seven episode story. Like I brought on my former business partners from. Mm. 2000 through 2010 and we just talked about all this insane like wall street stuff we called it wall street's insane and that was just a hilarious podcast and was fun and i enjoyed doing it and it was not guests as much as just telling stories but that but they are guests aren't they because they're not usually on your podcast right they're not usually on it i very rarely have done it where it's just me i think you have to really have a lot of confidence in how interesting you are as a person yeah and i think if you have that much confidence now interesting you are as a person you're unlikely to be that interesting well, I'll, I'll say there's an exception. Tim Dillon's podcast yeah. is, if people haven't listened to it, they should listen to it. It's just insanely good. And it's just him ranting the entire time. And he's so funny and he, and smart. And not everything he says is accurate, but he knows that he admits it. And it's just, he's just a, he has funny, a funny view of the world. That's so it's, it's very interesting. Some comedians do it well. Like some comedians translate their comedy well to podcasts. Some don't, but Tim does it very well. Hmm. It's a it's a tough one. I've thought about it a lot for YouTube because I know that could be really popular. You build up your YouTube channel with the big interviews, but then you do five to ten minute rants about something that's happened in the news. Yeah. But I, I find I'm I like the gray space more than it's very difficult to rant about well, it's not quite that and it's not quite that. It's somewhere in the middle. It's, you can't really rant like that. Well, you know? and Tim Pool's interesting because he's doing topical. So to, so he's 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 ranting. He has uh, not, and I don't mean in a bad way, like he has mm -hmm. a very specific, well-researched opinion. Whether you agree with it or not doesn't matter. Clearly, millions of people do, and he'll just and and then he has people who bounce off him, and he bounces off them. But he's the main person, and he's very topical. It's the news that day. Yeah. So so we find that the topical stuff. I don't know. Do you do you you don't do a lot of topical stuff because you're researching. You know, somebody who maybe committed a crime years ago. Like yeah. you're usually not interviewing someone who's committing a crime today. Because then they'd be going to jail. Like you'd be, they're on yeah, the run. Yeah. Well, so and because my opinion's not, not it's too middle. And I think yours might be as well compared to compared to him, compared to Ben Shapiro, compared yeah. to people like that who have got a really strong opinion one way. That yeah. that's easy to rant. Yeah. And also with with like, their audience comes from their opinion. So like yeah. I don't know if my I, my audience probably doesn't come from my opinion because I sort of feel like I like to play a bigger game than just the political one where mm -hmm. I don't really care that much and there's more important things to talk about. But but a lot of people love politics and the game of it yeah. and you know not even the game of it but like a particular side versus another side and that we we never do because I I'm, then then it's like you were saying like you have to be open minded and. If you just only believe in one side, you're never going to be open-minded. Yeah, but he gets a lot of audience from that, and Ben Shapiro gets a lot of audience from that. And on the on the liberal side, there's a lot of audience from that too. Yeah. So if you want a lot of audience, it's definitely good to take sides. I think. Yeah, but you put yourself in a difficult position, then, don't you? You've got to continue that. Yeah. So then that's why people on the left and right are often accused of being shills or grifters or whatever, you know, because nobody can have that strong of an opinion every single time that something relating to the right or the left happens. Right, and it happens to just coincidentally match every other opinion shared by the left or right. Right. Like even when in COVID, like even which medicine you took was either Democrat or Republican. Like yeah. one medicine was 
a, 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 a Trump medicine, so it can't work. And another medicine was a Democrat medicine, so that one be the, must be the one that works. Like, and you had to, but if you took the Trump medicine, you also had to be pro-life and pro-gun. Like, it was crazy how eerily coincidental, like, everybody's opinions were, like, if you were yeah. on one side or the other. Well, the, 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 uh, the abortion views, uh, the way that the abortion views and the um, death penalty views align is really interesting yeah. in that respect. <laughs> right, pro-life and pro-death. Yeah. Well, are they pro-assisted suicide? Uh, few people are. And, and that's something I've changed my mind on because I was pro-that. I thought that was... And I interviewed a guy who invented a machine to kill people uh, Philip Nitschke is funny, funnily enough, his name, like, like the Nitsch, Nitschke. Um, and he's Australian and he campaigned for years and years to change the laws there. And he made a machine that would make it so that he didn't have to push the button or anything like that. So it, basically he put people into a little computer program, like, like, like a, they would sit down in like a chair that he'd made and the, on the screen it would pop up, are you ready to die or whatever? And they would push yes and it says, are you sure? And it pushed yes again. And then at that point, the machine administers, you know, poison into their arm and they die, which is freaky thinking. The last thing you see is like a thing, are you sure you want to die? And you push yes. That's really freaky. But um, he was he's really pushing for that. And they've got this whole uh, like community who all want it. And I totally understand why that is. But I never considered the downside of it, which is which is the beauty of making the podcast, because you get reaction from the community and you're able to consider it. So I was so pro that because I'm like, I'm a big libertarian and every, if you want to die, you should be able to die, all this stuff. But what I didn't consider was the pressure people are going to be under when they feel like they're a liability to their family and they don't really want to die, but the family sort of suggests it and they feel like they sort of have to. That's a horrible thing. That happens? Yeah, of course it, it must do. It just, 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 of course, if someone's, imagine someone's dying, it's taken them years to die. Uh, yeah, like if someone's really sick. And they're really sick, and they're, they're, but they feel like they're a burden on their family. They, they probably are. We don't like to say it, but yeah. they are a burden. And then what if that family is a bit like, well, did you hear about that Switzerland thing? You know? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that feeling. So that's, that is like the main argument against it. If you make that legal, it allows for, especially, and there are, unfortunately, we don't like to think about it, there are a lot of children who want their parents' money. I had, another, yeah. I had another guy called The Coffin Confessor from Australia, uh, also Australia, and he, um, he goes to people's funerals to reveal the secrets of the dead person. So the dead person will approach them a few months before dying or a few weeks, approaches The Coffin Confessor and says, um, um, I'm dying, but like, I know that my brother was you know, having sex with my wife. Wait, this is a real thing. It's not like a psychic thing. No, this so is... like, this guy advertises himself like, you tell me your secrets. Mm -hmm. But a few months before you die, and then I will go to your funeral. Whatever your secrets you want me to share, I'll share. Yeah, he does it, and, Ten, and they pay him ten thousand dollars Australian dollars, which is probably eight thousand American. That is the weirdest profession I have yeah. ever heard in my life. And I'm also wondering why aren't there more people doing it? That's I like know. the easiest job in the world. Like just like listen to someone's secrets and show up at the funeral. He says the same thing. Although to have the the goal to actually turn up and do it. And he and he he's really quite like abrasive. His, you know, I, I've had him on quite a few times. He's great, a great guest. You should get him on. Oh yeah. <laughs> you gotta get him. So he he really he, he, and he's very sweary and he just gets to the funeral and he says, like, like while they're doing the eulogy, he gets and goes, right, the man in the casket's got something to say. So sit the fuck down. Right. And they all sit that apparently this is how he tells it. And he gets up and he says, Right. And he says that, you know, so and so was cheating on the wife of this person and this wasn't right and you were all bad to him. And it's revenge at the funeral, because what an embarrassing thing to be found out. Oh my god. But I guess you have to kind of like 
be real dominant in personality because people are going to start arguing and yelling with you. Yeah, he's you right. have to make sure you everyone's just disciplined and yeah. taking your orders and so you can finish what you're saying. Well, one of his stories was a biker gang and one of the biker gang guys who died was gay and wanted him to read that out. And that was very intimidating. But he said like, let, let, let me say it. And if you don't like, you know, then, then kill me. What was the most disappointed his audience has ever been? <laughs> like the, like the, the husband who died admitted cheating on the wife and the wife was just devastated or like? I'm not sure because the ones he tells, you'll have to ask him, I guess. The ones he tells tend to be more revenge. <laughs> so, it's, so it's not that, oh, sorry, I was cheating, you know, to the wife. It's more you were cheating and now you and i knew the whole time and you've oh been caught oh my god that's brutal he does that he also does other services like uh, a lot of people pay him to pinprick the body so he get, goes and sees your body and pinpricks to make sure you're dead uh and he they ask to bury them with staff in, which is illegal so he sort of slips it in um and also to clear out their homes he talks about an 80 year old 88 year old pensioner guy who uh, asked him to clear out his basement when he died so when he got there, the guy died. He went to the basement, and it was a sex dungeon. So, uh, so I guess somebody would hire someone like that because independent person, and he, his family doesn't have to be shocked by what they find when they clean this stuff out. Yeah, exactly. They don't want the family to know. What all a that fascinating stuff. job! And and he, <laughs> and he gets paid ten thousand per dead person. He said it depends on what the job is. If the job is just like go and pinprick the body, it's less. If it's like go and shout this in front of loads of people, then it's more. They sort of discuss it a little bit. It's a pretty crazy job. How did I get onto that though? Oh, the assisted suicide. He said often it does happen where he's, because he gets close to the dying person in the last few weeks often. And he sees how the kids often start, you know, getting involved and asking about money, where it's going, who's getting more. It happened, you know, I'm sure people listening will have experiences with that. They'll know some family members who've gotten like that. So that does happen. So you can imagine if someone's, you know, that ill and it's legal assisted suicide, you can see how someone can get pushed into it. That's not me saying I totally disagree with assisted suicide as, uh, as making that legal. I'm just saying like, it's not as simple as I first thought. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my, I mean, um, I tend to be libertarian in that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I'm, I guess um, that would make me for it. But I think it's a very, obviously it's a very tough issue because people could be depressed or down temporarily and mm -hmm. make a decision that they would have regretted later, but they can't because they're dead. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you've you've had on like the most fascinating guests. I feel like I've had on good like guests that I admire and look up to, and I read their books, and I'm interested in what their books say, and and I want to ask them about it. You have like these weird like a <laughs> like last time you were talking about the psychopath. Like yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that one. That was like a very interesting conversation you had with him. Mm. And now this guy, like what what would you say is the most not the weirdest, but the one that has had the most impact on you? Mm. There's two of them, right? So episode six, I always remember the numbers just because these two had such a big impact on me. Uh, episode, well, Amanda Knox as well. I just, I love talking to her. And so, I've, I've, that's another one that I've like quoted you to other people <laughs> about Amanda Knox and, and the psychopath aspect of it. Oh yeah, yeah she's, she's great. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't think she's a psychopath, but, but yeah, that status stuff we talked about before, she doesn't have to prove anything because her status as a virtue thing is, is at rock bottom anyway. So she's, yeah. just, she's just open and she's great. Um, 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 yeah, episode six was with uh, a, a child, person, a person who's attracted to children. And he's an 18-year-old uh, from Germany who is the class president of his school or was at the time of the interview. And they didn't know, obviously nobody knew. And that's what he did. So he did loads of things with the uh, classes and things with the kids. He said he never, ever actually 
would do anything like that, but he has the attraction. So that was just something that was like, I wanted to do that because I just started my podcast and I thought no one's done this. That's what I was looking to do. Yeah, because it's, it's so since he's never done anything, he hasn't committed a crime. So that's why he's available to go on your podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. So he must have written about it like I'm attracted, but I've never done this. He's not. He hasn't written much about it. I had to go and delve into their community in I see. Germany. So I was living in Berlin. What shall I do next? That was I wanted. I'd made this TV documentary about exorcism and another one about abortion. I want really contentious issues, and um, it so happened in Germany they have the world's only clinic that doesn't report these people. I, should, I hate saying these people, not saying the word, but YouTube does demonetize it. But it doesn't report them to authorities. So they can actually go in and get help, which is sounds mad and sounds crazy because uh, you, you, you want to punish and you, go, you hate them and you want them to have to go to prison and stuff. But they believe, the German clinic believe it actually helps. So I went and, I went and met the clinic and then they set me up with some of their patients. And through them, I met more and more and more of them over a period of about one or two years, going to have little meetings. I went at one point to a small town in the middle of Germany and met a female one, because that's so rare. And it was a 25-year-old woman, um, who again, these were all people saying they would never, they, these were non-offenders who were, because the point was they were going to therapy because they didn't want to offend and they needed help. Uh, somebody who was going to offend wouldn't be doing that, they would just be offending. So yeah, met with her and then through all these people, I also met this guy who said that he'd come on the podcast and talk about it. So it was the first time he'd done that. And it was fascinating. And it was just interesting because there were clearly cognitive biases he was showing. He said things like, uh, I would never offend, uh, but I have to be around children because I love them in a platonic way as well as you know attraction. Um, and if, I, if I'm not, that's going to be a problem. And I said, yeah, but if you're not around them, you can't hurt them. And he was like, no, no, I'm more likely to hurt them if I'm not with them. I, I have to be close to them so I don't fall. And it just felt like someone who's, you know, has addiction. He's like rationalized his whole, his whole being. Yeah. Well, someone with addiction is like, no, I need to be near that pub because, yeah. you know, it, it was that. So that's, that was the, yeah, episode six. And episode 53 was a, a chat with a guy who was one of the survivors of the plane crash in the Andes from Uruguay. Who, who they the were soccer there. team one? Yeah, it was rugby. And they um, had to eat their friends. So, you know, asking him about what it was like to have to eat human flesh and, and things like that. So that was, that was pretty out there. And I, don't, I, I know there was a movie about it or a documentary or whatever. They didn't kill anybody. They just waited for people to die and then they would eat them. Yes. Yeah. We that, think. We think, exactly. Uh, apparently, they all sort of offered up each other, their bodies to one another. They were all quite religious and they saw it as some sort of body of Christ metaphor, mm. which enabled them to do it. What else can you do? What they survived is like the, the more you look into that story, the more insane it is. Because they just they didn't even have like shoes on and stuff. They did. They were wearing shorts. They'd never been to cold weather before. They were from Uruguay going to Chile. It's just the Andes are right in between. Um, and then they crash land in this blizzard, and they're wearing like shorts and a t-shirt. Uh, loads of them died on the impact, like the, the, the pilots included. The the back plane, the back part of the plane. It's, they basically landed on a spike, and the back part of the plane fell back down. Uh, into the snow and it just went like, like as if it were water the snow it just splashed down into it and they all suffocated everyone in the back half uh, and the front part the guy I spoke to is a guy called Coche Inciarte and he was on the back road just before it split so it's unbelievable he looked behind him and his friends his best friends weren't there anymore and he was just like torpedoing down the mountain uh, until they eventually sort of crashed into the valley 
which squashed, obviously, the pilots. They died, and all the chairs and all the people then went straight forward into the front, and most of them died leaving. I don't know how many it was, but let's say 30 or so still alive, and then gradually many of them died from their injuries over a period of days and weeks. And, uh, yeah, it took, I can't remember how long now, but months, months of, of living off of dead bodies and melting snow to drink it because you can't drink snow because you get frostbite in your mouth. So they had wine bottles that they put the snow in and held it up to the sun in like minus whatever degrees it was. So it, And it very gradually, you know, by night, they had like three drops of water to share between them. So, oh man, how long? So it, it took. How long did it take for them to be found? I think it. I, they weren't found. They, the search was given up. Um, I can't remember how many days it was. It was. It was a lot though. I think it was like three months. So if someone's listening, I'm sorry if I got that wrong. I think it was like three months. And um, eventually, two of the guys they were in just the worst state ever. All of them. And I think three guys at first they said we're just going to set off over that mountain and see what happens. And they'd wore, they were wearing like socks and walking in the snow and they went off and then one guy turned back and in the whole way they are carrying backpacks full of meat of humans um to to eat on the way they had to eat it frozen as well because if you cook it, it apparently there's less meat yeah. so you have to eat it frozen that's what they did um and those two guys went off and i can't remember how many days it took but they eventually got to a river in chile and uh they saw a guy like a farmer just across the river they couldn't cross the river and they just screamed to him and the guy put two and two together because the whole nation well, in Chile and Uruguay knew about this what had happened and so he um he then had to drive like nine hours to the nearest town to get the police and stuff and then they got them and then they sent helicopters to the place so it's it's one of those things with emotions when it gets you um it's not hearing the sad bit it's like in movies it's hearing about the survival so yeah. I was talking to him and he was telling me, we had to do it in Spanish. It's the only one I've done not in English. So I interviewed him in Spanish and I got someone to dub over him uh, later. Um, but I'm so happy I did because, you know, but to hear the story and to hear the bit where he starts to explain how his uh, fiance and his mum they gathered in the local square in Uruguay because news had reached them after months that people, there were survivors, which was just the most insane thing ever. You know, everyone gave them up for dead. Uh, and... In, it was on the radio or something in the, in the town square and they listed the names of the 14, I think, survivors. And his was like the second last name. So you can imagine just sitting there and then you hear that, that, that name and you know he's alive. Like, you know, so then they just took all of them the next flight to Chile. He had lost like, you know, so much weight. He was almost unrecognizable. He said his, his first shower in the hospital, it like knocked him off his feet. Huh. Um, and then he heard the voices of his family because they'd come. And so when he was telling me that, I got very emotional. It was probably the most emotional I've been on the podcast just hearing that wow, story. Wow, that's an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, so again, you've had like fascinating, I mean, I, I feel like I've had fascinating guests as well, but you, those stories are so impactful and it also shows just how crazy life is. Yeah. You know, how many, just all these stories that are just to, to the edge of what you think is possible. Well, that's what we were talking about this before. That's why, I mean, so mine, mine has to have that because it's, it has to entertain. As much as it educates a bit as well, yeah. it has to entertain. Whereas yours, you, you really try to enlighten and educate people. Yeah, so, so like for me, the educational part is natural from the guests. 
and then I have to make sure it's entertaining. Mm, mm. So it's a different it's a different style, but it all gets you to the same place, which is getting entered, you know, listening to something that's entertaining enough while you're driving or working out or walking, yeah. and then you know, getting learning something from it in the process, and that's why podcasts I- I- exist. Who was your most impactful or surprising guest? Apart from me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You ever have that? Like people ask, probably ask you that a lot. And, and I just asked you that. And I, <laughs> and I actually don't really have an answer. Like, You've got to have a ready answer for that. Yeah, I, don't, I have to kind of look through the guests. Like after 1,200, <laughs> I've forgotten a lot of the guests too. So I don't know. Each one's, each one's different. So I don't, I don't really know. They've, they've, they've all had some mm-hmm. impact. I'll say Coolio now because... Rest yeah. in peace. He died last last week, and I actually was really excited to talk to him because it was my favorite song as a kid. So every now and then, I'm I'm always I'm I'm often intimidated by the guests because it's like, oh, this is so and so who, when I was 15 years old, like I loved this thing they mm-hmm. did, and and so that's usually has some impact on me. But yeah, all the guests have been, all the guests have been pretty interesting, mm-hmm. pretty much almost all of them. Yeah. But uh, but Andrew, thanks so much for a. This is the first. Is this the first remote podcast? Or this is the first real podcast I've done in person in a really long time. The first one here, certainly. And first one in years, probably. So thanks so much for Thank coming you. here. Like in your one trip to the US, you've been north and now you've been south. <laughs> and for a podcast in each region. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming here. Oh, thanks for having me here. What and and what, what's the main podcast that people can find you on? Uh, on the Edge with Andrew Gold. It's on YouTube, Spotify, uh, all the all the all the things. You know. What um, about what about yours? Because I'm going to put this out on mine as well, aren't I? Yeah. You, you, by the way, it's very good. I find it's very good to put on my podcast when interviewers interview me because that's the way I get you know stories that I've never told before on the yeah. podcast get out there. And so mine's the James Altucher Show. I hope people subscribe and listen and follow and. Uh, Andrew, once again, thanks for for coming over here. Thank you. Yeah, my guys, they'll fo- they'll follow. They they'll they'll follow you. They better do. Excellent, and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs>